2: Setting in the pace with Alex and Foxy, Alex and Foxy, Alex, and Alex and If I put our jacks in the paint How you gonna stop me? How you gonna stop me? We can go head to head Call out your top three Call out your top three Look at the switch from Buddy here Now that boy got three We got Holly Burton running point Team. We gonna need a mop. What is going on Pacer Nation? Welcome back to your go-to Pacers podcast. I'm your host Alex Golden and I'm joined today by the Thanksgiving boy, Michael J. Focci. What's going on brother? How you doing?
1: I like to think of it as Thanksgiving man. Uh, You know, Thanksgiving, boys, sounds like a, like a nine-year-old with like a like a plate of turkey or something like that. But, uh, you know, yeah, look, nice Thanksgiving teaser. is right around the corner. We, we're we going to talk Pacer basketball today. But, Alex, we also have a fun segment today. I mean, yeah, we're coming off a rough loss to Orlando Magic, but we can still have some fun here. Tell everybody what we're also talking about today in addition to Pacer basketball.
2: Well, we got Caitlin Cooper on the podcast, and you guys know that when we have Caitlin Cooper on, We're not just talking Pacers hoops because we know we can all do that. We talk about the Pacers almost every day. Caitlin's obviously, you know, in the lab, writing articles, jumping on different podcasts, talking about the Pacers. So we're like, let's have some fun. So we always do a food draft. So we thought, Thanksgiving food, why not just throw those two together? We're doing a Thanksgiving food draft where we had four rounds, like you said, Fachi, and we're going to go back and forth in a snake draft, picking our favorite sides and our main foods and our desserts, whatever. There was no like, requirement there was no like oh you gotta pick this gotta pick that gotta pick that it's just you can pick whatever you want as long as it's a traditional thanksgiving Mm -hmm. food item so we close out the show doing that and we're curious whose table would you come sit at if these were the food options i don't think it's going to be mine based on the results but you're going to be happy if you come to mine that's all i'm going to say
1: okay okay yep yeah that's that's a good uh good teaser but yeah you know hey if you all have a, a, a strong appetite I am very curious to see where you're looking to sit. And, you know, it depends what you're looking for. Everybody has maybe one one type of food they might want to lean a little bit into. But maybe if you have a well-balanced type of plate that you're looking for, I don't know, there might be someone that you're looking to sit with. But at the same point, let's leave that to the listeners because everyone's got a different taste on Thanksgiving. I will
2: say this. If I had to pick a table to sit at, I would probably pick Caitlin's one because she oh. knows more about the Pacers than us. And number two... You know, no offense, Fachi, but I'd rather talk to Caitlin than you because I talk to Caitlin. I talk to you every day, so That's it'd fine. be nice to have a different conversation.
1: Fair enough, fair enough. But telling you one thing, man, you were going to leave. Would you? You're not going to feel like so full that you got to go to sleep at my table. You're going to feel just right. So, you're not
2: feel stuffed, are you?
1: you no, know, no, you might not, but who knows? It depends how many uh, how many helpings you have. But yeah. at the same point, you come to my table, you're going to go home. Well fed.
2: Gonna go home a happy Thanksgiving boy. So with that being said, Man. let's let's go ahead and take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll dive into some really fun basketball conversation with Caitlin Cooper. Hey Pacer fans, Alex Golden here. I wanted to let you know about my new blog, the Blue and Golden. If you enjoy reading articles about the Pacers, then subscribe to my Substack, which is one hundred percent free. You can find the blog at the Blue and Golden. Dot .substack.com, or you can follow the link in the description of this podcast. If you enjoy what you're reading on The Blue and Golden, please share the blog with your family and friends. Thanks for your support of not only this podcast, but my written work that can only be found on the theblueandgolden.substack.com. Now, let's get back to the show.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and A member FDIC. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet... You can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you.
2: Ripple Bagel and Deli is the home of Indy's Original steam Bagel Sandwich. It's located in the heart of Broad Ripple and they're family owned and operated, proudly serving their customers for over 20 years. They pride themselves on quick casual dining with over 100 different steam bagel sandwich options. It truly is a staple in Indianapolis and a can't miss breakfast and lunch spot. Ripple Bagel & Deli offers a great friends and family atmosphere where you're always welcome to dine in and be a part of the family or feel free to bypass anyway by conveniently ordering and paying for carryout ahead of time at RippleBagelDeli.com. Ripple Bagel & Deli also offers best-in-class catering anytime, anywhere, with a long list of customers ranging anywhere from law firms to drug reps to several different sports-related clients, including Butler, IUPUI, the Indianapolis Colts, and several visiting NFL teams. They pride themselves on their ability to satisfy all of your catering needs, no matter the occasion or event, and will customize your order, provide competitive pricing, and always deliver on time. Ripple Bagel Deli, the home of Indy's Original steam Bagel Sandwich. All right, everybody, joining us now on Setting the Pace, we are glad to have her back. It is Caitlin Cooper, and we are going to have a draft at the end of this segment, so we're excited for all that. But Caitlin, how are you doing?
3: Doing well. Happy to be back on a podcast about the Pacers, talking to Pacer fans with fellow Pacer podcasters. I guess I'm not a regular podcaster, but you guys are. <laughs> so happy to be back.
2: Uh, <laughs> yeah, you. I mean, you're covering the team though with your writing, so it's another way of talking. It's just a different. It's a different form of of talking about the team. So we love your work and all that you do here. And I know Fachi is excited to have you back on because. This team, 7-5, and there's been some highs, there's been some lows, there was a really bad game against the Magic, but before that they had a really great game against Philadelphia, so is somewhere in between both those games who this Pacers team is?
3: I mean, it's kind of interesting because some of the things that I praised them for against Philadelphia that I felt went right and were things that we could kind of latch on to and carry on then went very wrong against the Magic. So like, there was plays in that second half against Philadelphia where the Sixers were really pressuring Tyrese and either top-locking him or preventing him from getting the ball, so they were having him start plays away. And then he'd go be a stack screen or leak out and kind of be connective tissue. Then yesterday when they were trying to do that against the Magic, Jalen Suggs was just so physical with him. They were really picking him up full court. They're preventing him from even setting those screens. Then when he got out, they were denying him the ball. So like the idea of monitoring how the Pacers continue to handle things when he gets schemed out of plays and how who else can step up, especially because I felt like... It was a very brief sprint um stint of minutes when Tyrese and TJ McConnell were on the floor at the same time but that spacing was not particularly helpful. When TJ was off ball for about three or four possessions in a row, I think they got outscored like 8 to nothing in a very brief period of time so some of the stuff that I felt really worked for them against Philadelphia did not necessarily work against Orlando but at the same time I'm sure you guys probably agree I can get your thoughts like there was a lot of unforced errors it was a dark comedy of errors um, put together by the Indiana Pacers I don't think anything the magic were doing had to do with them just like losing an inbounds pass throwing hit ahead passes five feet above people in the air you know some of the other turnovers I didn't feel like were Completely uh, forced in that game, so that contributed to why their defense was what it was. But certainly, I think the main takeaway was that they had their lowest offensive rating of the season in that first half and their highest turnover rate in the first half. And so far, the Pacers have been very good at being able to play at breakneck speed while also taking care of the ball. And that didn't really apply to last night's game.
1: Yeah, it's very true. And staying on that topic of offense, but also talking about defense. You know, knowing the defensive struggles coming into this season. Do you feel the Pacers have shown really any improvement on that side of the ball or does it kind of feel like it's been masked by how brilliant the offense had been up until at least that Orlando magic game?
3: I'm kind of getting to a place with the defense where this is kind of sadly just what I expect. They've tried two vastly different schemes now with largely, in part, some of the same roster. Obviously, they added Bruce Brown. They added Jairus. Jarriss isn't in the rotation. But, you know, last year they were much more aggressive, early presence at the nail. They were overzealous with the low man. They would have people in the paint, and they still gave up quite a bit at the rim, and they were giving up a very high rate of corner threes. This year, they're limiting threes better than any team in the league, but they're just getting absolutely wrecked. With their pick-and-roll coverages, they're giving up a lot with their size on the interior. Obviously, what the paint point situation is continues to be a thing. The opponent rim frequency was 30th. I didn't check that this morning to see what it was after the Magic game. But it just kind of feels like after you've tried two kind of polar opposite schemes and we're still kind of seeing the same results, I'm not convinced unless we continue to see like little fever pitch moments like what we saw from Benedict Matherin in the fourth quarter against the Bucks, where it's a slow build and we're just seeing... like incremental steps of growth that they're going to get where they need to get on the defensive end, which I think they just need to be, to put it, hopefully this doesn't come off wrong. I think they just need to be merely bad, and right now they've been mostly terrible. So if they can get to the level of bad with how good the offense has generally been, aside from what that first half was against the Magic, they can be, you know, a very good team. But I'm not necessarily convinced that without roster changes that they're going to get there on that end of the floor.
2: And that, and somebody asked me that today. They're like, "Is it the coaching staff? Is it the scheme? You know, is it the roster?" And I said, "Well, I think at the end of the day, you have to look at the roster. It's just they don't—they're kind of small. Don't have a lot of good defenders. If you look at the starting lineup, you you trust Bruce and, and Miles to be good, consistent defenders. But other than that, Benedict has been very hit or miss. Obi Toppin, same way. Tyrese has really been a pretty big negative on defense, and has even got hunted by the Chicago Bulls multiple times. So." To me, it's where I'm just like, I don't know if they can maybe make a change in the starting lineup because it might help a little bit. But at what point do you kind of stump the growth of Matherin? Does that really affect him if you pull him out and maybe put a Neesmith in there? So I guess you kind of talked about Matherin, that really good game he had against the Bucks in the fourth quarter. What is causing him to have so many inconsistencies that you've noticed so far this season?
3: I mean, when you look at what happened at the end of that game against the Bucs, he he absorbs two bumps from Giannis and pokes the ball away, one on the spin move, which you can debate whether spinning to the left was completely necessary for Giannis on that particular possession. But I was almost more impressed by what he did against Chris Middleton because Chris Middleton turned middle on him and scored, and a couple possessions later, Ben prevented him from being able to turn over his middle shoulder, pushed him baseline. But when you look at all of those plays— the Pacers were sending doubles to Giannis, so Bruce was smashing down. Bruce was kind of lurking in the shadows on the one when Giannis turned to his left. Even on the play with Chris Middleton, Miles was pulled clear off of and sagging off of Brooke Lopez at the top of the key and was kind of lurking in the background there as well. So I felt like there was kind of you know a player lesson for him and somewhat of a schematic lesson in that... If I was the coaching staff, I'd be showing Ben that film all the time and being like, look, we've seen you do this. We have video proof that you're (laughs) capable of this. And at the same time, if I were the Pacers, I'd be self-reflective. And I think... They have been a little bit more proactive with this last night. You saw a little bit more, a few more digs towards Palo Bancaro when he was getting switches a little bit more extra help towards Franz Wagner that they just can't completely make it sink or swim and just be throwing guys out there. Like what was happening against the Hornets when Gordon Hayward was just going at Tyrese and going at Ben something I would like, it's going to sound, you know, kind of absurd to give them credit on the defensive end from last night's game. But they were keeping Tyrese out of the mismatches. Like they were consistently doing hedge and recover with him so that Palo Bancaro wasn't hunting him on the block. They were keeping all of the other players on him, whether that was Toppin or Mather. Now did that necessarily go well every time? No, but at least Tyrese wasn't getting, you know, put into those actions as frequently. So that that was another small adjustment that they've made. But to your question when fans ask that, I think that there's certain things about this current scheme that I don't know. Now that I've seen it enough times that I would necessarily do like the late switching, some of the push switching on those screens, I think that that gives up a lot of mismatches around the basket. There's times where I would be putting more help earlier at the nail. That's not a massive adjustment. They did make that adjustment against Maxie and Embiid on those empty pick and rolls. But at the same time, I know that I can look at last season and see that they tried something completely different and they didn't have a better result. So I'm just kind of to the place where until they add you know, more length at the wing possessions, the two forward positions, that this is just what it's probably going to be. You
1: know, a couple of the games that you talked about, whether it was Milwaukee or you know Philly earlier, or then even Charlotte, through 12 games, the Patriots have pulled off some, some great wins. Uh, quality wins that maybe teams, maybe fans didn't think they would pull off. But there's also some games that they dropped, like Chicago and Charlotte. Do you feel that this team perhaps gets up for the bigger games and then maybe kind of plays down to their competition some other times? Because that Orlando Magic game, they came out absolutely flat, but I feel that was not the case for against Milwaukee where they came out, you know, kind of guns blazing in that first quarter.
3: Yeah, I mean, anytime you have to take three timeouts in the first quarter, and after the third timeout, you turn it over on an inbound pass on when the player's not even being completely pressured, you can kind of tell where that game's probably going. Like, in the case of the Bulls game, I felt like the Bulls made quite a few adjustments in the fourth quarter, which led the Pacers to kind of let go of the rope. I believe Tyrese went scoreless over those last six minutes, and they were playing Alex Caruso with the starters. Alex was really pressuring Tyrese, similar to what we were seeing last night from Jalen Suggs. that's something that the Pacers are going to have to continue to adjust to. I think that he is doing better at trying to get himself open and putting himself into passing windows, but the rest of the team stepping up to be able to make plays when that first action gets taken away is something that they're going to have to continue to progress on. And Alex touched on it. Like the bulls ran the same play almost, I think six times at the end of that game to continue to put Tyrese into the action. And I felt like, you know, he needed to be better at hedge and recover. They needed to not be giving up those switches so easily. And, That's something that they did against the Orlando Magic. But I think sometimes it's not necessarily always, you know, the strength of the opponent in terms of what the matchup is for the Pacers and what weaknesses they can or can't exploit. And in that particular game, the Bulls were well-suited to impact Tyrese over those last six minutes.
2: This has been a really – I feel like we've seen some different rotations from Rick trying to figure out the right combinations early on. So it feels like it's a little bit more experimental – I know you talked about this on a previous podcast where that bench unit was playing with Bruce Brown at first, and that kind of feel like they didn't have enough offensive firepower out there. They switched that with Matherin instead of Bruce Brown, and I felt like that kind of helped Matherin a little bit, just get more looks, kind of be more of the focal point offensively, especially if you look at how bad Buddy struggled the last five games that offense is really needed off the bench. So when you look at the different combinations, obviously the starters have been hit or miss too, but... Do you think there is a change that could be made to either of those lineups to really kind of help balance things out that would make more sense?
3: If I was going to make any change, it would probably be with Aaron playing up at the four. They don't have any lineups that look particularly good defensively right now, but I say that it would depend on the matchup because obviously if you're playing Boston, there's not really a good way to configure this, but playing Neesmith at the four and cross-matching him onto fives and being able to switch on ball screens – I feel from what I'm seeing with my eyes is when their defense looks the most functional, especially if the, you know, they have Miles or Jalen Smith then in the corner defending a low-usage wing and they can scram out those mismatches instead of giving them up at the rim and then potentially if they don't veer switch and get into that big or if they don't really you know, get into their legs to keep them off the glass, that then they're giving up a lot of that. They're, I think they're back to 27th in opponent offensive rebounding rate. Their foul rate is very high, and I think this is in part contributing to that. So if I was to do anything, it would probably be to adjust and put Aaron in because I'm just not really ready for the sake of Benedict Mathers' development and what you need to see from him and his chemistry with Tyrese Halliburton to make that switch quite yet. I think they need yeah. to hold steady there. So if there was anything I was going to do, that would probably be it. But like I looked up this morning, you said that about how many different lineup combinations they've used. That lineup from the fourth quarter last night with TJ McConnell and Ben Shepard and Jairus and Warren Isaiah Jackson is fourth currently in minutes played for the Pacers. <laughs> That's how many different combinations they've played. That's wow.
1: crazy. That's pretty wild. Um, hey, they had a good fourth quarter, but it's just hard to <laughs> – that could be sustainable with that group. But Benedict Mathurin, somebody said, hey, you're not ready to kind of move him to the bench by, by any means. And, I, you know, I, I get that. It's been the highs and the lows. Like, he his start to the season, I think it was really quiet. Then he had two phenomenal games against Utah and Milwaukee – which was great to see. It felt like everything that he needed. But going into year two, what has been your thoughts on Matherin? Because I think everybody probably expected a a little bit more, maybe taking some bigger strides defensively. But I think offensively, they thought they'd probably be able to count on him a little bit more. But shifting into that starting lineup, it's, it's a bit of a different role than what he saw last year for the most part
3: yeah, I mean, and Tyrese has mentioned this in the past, how hard it is for players in year two. He said that of himself. He talked about it with Chris Duarte last year. I wrote a piece in August where I said changes were coming for him, and I expected that they would. And it's he's not seeing as he's seeing more short closeouts. He's seeing help on like eighty percent of his drives, literally, according to second spectrum. So he's not getting to the free throw line near as much as he did last year. Um, Those types of coverage changes, he's trying to make the right passes. I give him credit; like he's at least trying to move the ball in situations. But he doesn't always make the read quick enough on where the right pass needs to go. Like there was a play in Philadelphia where Obi slipped a screen. Ben was at the wing. Tyrese gave it to him. Like he needs to short the roll there and be able to give it to Obi. And he just like tossed it to to Miles Turner. Like he's making a pass. That's not him stalling the offense. It's just not finding the advantage that's going to keep the ball ahead of the defense. So. Those types of things. And then last night, like a trend that was across the team, but something that he does a lot, I feel, is that it was like the Pacers were getting spooked by the idea of Orlando's length more so than the reality of their length at times. Like they were seeing shorter closeouts where guys didn't even have a hand up and they weren't taking the shot so that they could then drive into what was effectively like turbines at the rim and trying to pass around all these limbs when they got there was a bunch of like kamikaze drives that was really putting pressure on their defense the other way like ben sometimes sees these shorter closeouts and instead of just taking the shot that's there and open to him in rhythm he wants to put the ball on the floor and then there's incentive to load up on him so i think some of this was kind of expected but like i think his overall approach has been better than what we saw in summer league like in summer league it was i'm just gonna force up a shot i'm gonna try to beat the help and at least now he's trying to move the ball he's just not always moving the ball in the right place
2: yeah. And I, sometimes I feel like he's just overthinking the game a little bit too much too, or it's not like yeah. a natural, like, this is what I'm doing because last year we saw it just come in be our score. That was it. And there was no scouting report on him. So it was a little bit easier for him to kind of get off to a hot start. And he talked about, you know, after the first 30 games, he really started getting more tired because the, the schedule was kind of catching up to him a little bit. Teams are starting to get more of a read on what he does. And then now he's being guarded by better players as a starter and trying to grow as a passer and think differently than how he thought in previous years. And that's good. I mean, it's growth. There's nothing wrong with that. And Rick Carlisle talked about it on the radio saying, like, he's not going to be a guy that, if you're looking at points, you're not going to be satisfied with Matherin and the development this year because we're asking him to do different things. So, yeah. There's been good moments, but then there's games where he just like gets caught watching the ball, and a guy back cuts him. I know you clip something really good in that Cavaliers game where he just got obliterated twice in back-to-back plays, and it's kind of been like that for him because he's been on the sidelines watching in closing moments in some really close games. Besides like the one against Milwaukee, so I guess just like it's a tough. It's obviously tough in year two, like you said. But how does he overcome those inconsistencies and? do you still believe that he has that ability to end up being Indiana's number two guy?
3: Yeah. I mean, on the defensive end, like what you just said there with Cleveland, one of his biggest problems is he will have, he's capable of having a very strong initial burst. So he might deny a handoff. He might really stay with somebody flying off a stagger. And then he's like, Oh, I I defended that action. It's complete. My work is done. And then he relaxes and somebody will be able to back cut and get him to the rim or, you know, there's a million there's like 30 battles you have to win every possession on the defensive end and he might win 20 of them and then lose the last 10 in a really like loud fashion so like i do credit him because some of those he's he's winning more of the battles per possession it's just that the mistakes are sticking out a lot, and like even in that Bucks game, I believe on like the last possession that they ended up putting them hard back in. So like it doesn't even seem like the Pacers completely believed in what they were seeing there. Like he made probably five pretty strong defensive plays, and it was still like okay, well we have to get a stop here, so we're going to go ahead and I don't remember if it was Nemhard or who exactly it was that they subbed in to complete that. I, I'm pretty sure it was Andrew, but anyways, yeah. I mean I think in part it, the shot's going to have to come around. Like, he's going to have to start hitting shots and taking the inflow shots that come to him for him to be a good partner next to Tyrese, and those defensive moments that we can point to are going to have to start accumulating at a higher rate, because those are the two things that I feel are most important for somebody to mesh with Tyrese Halliburton, so... Until we start seeing a little bit of that. And sometimes it's just like with Ben when he catches the ball. like Sometimes he almost looks more ca- more comfortable taking a step back to his left than just shooting the open catch-and-shoot shot because his shot prep isn't always quite where it needs to be right on the catch to let it go. So... I'm sure these are things that the coaching staff looks over with him. And by all accounts, from things that I've heard from people who work there and some of his teammates is that he's very committed and wants to learn and wants to look at film and wants to improve. And like I said, I at least can tell that there's a different approach from what we saw in those two games at summer league, because after what we saw at summer league, I was, I was, I was somewhat concerned about where he was going to be at the start of the Mm -hmm. season and not just because of the efficiency, but because of what his approach was.
1: Yeah. Oh, I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, the first summer league game did not look good. The second one, you, you saw he was trying to be a distributor. It didn't look natural at all. It was like, uh-oh, like I hope we didn't, you know, kind of mess with him a little bit too much. But speaking of a shot maker and someone who meshes well with Tyrese, Buddy Heald. Buddy Healed right now, I feel is struggling. I mean, from a minute standpoint, it's, it's his lowest since his rookie year, but also so is his production. Uh, Alex tweeted out earlier today over the last five games, he's averaging about eight eight and a half points per game on about 30% shooting from the field. It's not the same buddy that we saw last year, but once again, another player that's not playing the same role as he played last year. What have been your thoughts on, on buddy struggles and do we think he's going to snap out of it? soon?
3: Yeah. I mean, I looked up some numbers and his three point percentage really hasn't shifted and the minutes between when Tyrese is on and Tyrese is off, I think it's still at like 36%, but his three-point attempt rate in terms of how many threes he takes as a volume of his shots drops when Tyrese is off the floor. So he's not getting as many attempts. He isn't seen as much, and that was kind of the case during the 10 when Tyrese was injured last year. There was a few games that he played where he only got like three three three-point attempts. I think overall with him, like I – He would have to be in a shooting slump for quite some time for me to actually sound an alarm bell. Um, I, I just think... And plus, like what you are as a spacer is who you are when you're not shooting. And you can still watch teams are still going to defend Buddy Heald like a shooter. He's still going to have gravity when he's standing there spacing around a pick and roll. So I don't have a lot of concerns with him. And he has added, like his passing has been better Mm -hmm. this season than it has been in years past. There are certain moments with him defensively that you can point to and be like, Oh, that was a little bit better. I don't think it's overall like a, a steady line by any means. He certainly had quite a few mistakes in that game last night, but I think that this would have to go on for a while for me to be like, Oh, cause even in his first season he shot, he was shooting a, a career low. I believe when he got traded by the Kings and it did go up a little bit, but then he ended up having one of his lower, you know, three point percentage games. But like, I don't think it necessarily changes his overall impact that much that you don't want to have him on the floor. Cause even in the game when he didn't shoot well in that in-season tournament, like look who was on the floor at the end of the game, Rick Carlisle was still playing buddy. And he was like one of five because like what he does as a stack screener is still important to their offense. So, yeah,
2: I was, I was actually a little surprised that they had kept him out there, especially with how they were defending Ty, wanting maybe to get another ball handler out there. I thought maybe they go to Nimhardt here, but Nimhardt really didn't play a lot in that Philly series. And maybe it's because he got off to such a slow start on Sunday's game, had like three turnovers, I think in like three or four minutes. And they went to McConnell and McConnell was kind of, McConnell just played better in that in that series, that two game series than Nimhard did. But I feel like Nimhard has had a interesting season where it's like he's not been given as many minutes, but I still feel like he's a really smart defender. I like him off ball next to Ty actually quite a bit still. They have a lot of chemistry from last year where they played that style. And as long as Ty's here, like he's always going to be limited with his minutes as a point guard, too. So I just kind of curious, you know, obviously dealing with the back injury, unsure if he'll play on Tuesday versus Atlanta, but what have your overall thoughts been on Nimhard this season in his new role?
3: I mean, I think you, de- I think they definitely missed him last night. Like, do I think Nimhard was going to make up a forty-point difference? Absolutely not. But in the minutes when TJ was playing with Tyrese, and Tyrese was, was seeing bad. some of the pressure that he was seeing, like TJ's in the weak side corner, there's absolutely no one around him. They're defending and on the backside of Jalen Smith. TJ's at the weak side wing and his defenders nexting and jump switching right on to Tyrese. Like, nobody was defending him in those settings. And there was was some merit to playing TJ with Tyrese against the Sixers because Embiid was guarding TJ. So you could use TJ as a screener. That would force Embiid to have to come up and leave the paint because obviously you have to contest Tyrese as a pull-up shooter. Those minutes went pretty well for them. Plus, TJ just has a good feel for kind of how to, where to dig and find blind spots against Embiid because they were teammates. So it kind of made sense to have them both out there. at the same time but like I think that having Andrew even though he started the season very slow from three just being able to have him out there to actually spot up would have made a difference in some of those actions and be able to make other plays that you're just not going to get from TJ as a three-level scorer in those types of settings and then also like I'll be honest enough to say I'm a little bit confused about what the entire Andrew TJ rotation has been like how you go into the season and you say you've had one of the toughest conversations you've ever had with TJ and that for that apparently just for that Wizards game like I'm not going to play a 10-man rotation made it seem at least to me and what I was hearing that TJ is out of the rotation at this point like Mm -hmm. clearly they don't want anything to be set in stone but a game later Tyrese has the stomach issue and they're saying that before the game even started They, as a coaching staff, were like, let's look for a spot to get TJ to play. And it's not because I think TJ has played poorly. Like, I wrote about it in a Jairus article. Like, I think because of what the circumstances were in preseason, with Tyrese sitting out two games, Andrew having the kidney stone, TJ earned being able to play on the court. Like, he still contributes to winning and still makes winning-type plays. I just don't think it's super helpful to have – your role one night be as Andrew, oh, I'm going to come in and I play next to Tyrese, and then another night I'm playing with TJ. I'm running the bench unit. I'm not running the bench unit. Like, it's it's just kind of been all over the place in addition to the fact that clearly Andrew hasn't made as many shots from three as you would have liked to see quite yet at this point, and what you're saying against Philadelphia. Like, he has had a few loose spots throughout the season where it was like those three turnovers in the row against the Bulls where he almost, like, trusted in his own talent a little bit too much and in that series against Philadelphia when he had multiple like kind of handling issues i still like the pace that he plays with a lot i like that you can play two speeds with him i like that he moses to his spots i like him playing point guard with the bench and also being able to play defense next to tyrese so i just i don't really like what the role situation has been between he and tj to me it's either tj's playing or tj isn't playing like let's let's make a decision there
1: And that's a great point because in reality, McConnell's appeared in eight of the twelve games. I know some of the games it wasn't much minutes, but there's been quite a uh, quite a handful where he's played, you know, about twenty minutes or fifteen minutes. So he's had a role. So I think that is a great point where it didn't like it felt like a hard conversation to have at first, but it feels like things changed, you know, very very quickly. But one thing that I'm curious is, you know, we talked about that nine to ten man rotation really hard for someone else to break into it. Uh, the Pacers have an open roster spot right now. Do you have a preference on what they should do with that spot, even if it is hard for that player to even be able to crack the rotation at this point?
3: Okay, so people did disagree with me on this, which is fine. People can always disagree with me on the on anything. But, like, over the summer, I was not a big fan of the fact that they were still occupying that many spots with centers. So I think that it was right. good that they went ahead and bought out Daniel Tice because the difference is – is like, yes, the Pacers have a lot of six foot five and under guards on the roster, but you can play multiple of those people at the same time. They are not going to play multiple centers at the same time, despite the fact that Daniel Tice did play at the 4 for a brief stint in his only game this year against the Milwaukee Bucks. <laughs> so for me, if I'm filling that spot, I'd like to see them take a flyer on a wing of some sort. Like, let's just get somebody who can go out there and see what they can do in that particular position, whether, you know... I, I haven't seen a lot from Kendall Brown, like it, in summer league or in some of the G League games I've watched. You know, maybe that's somebody you could promote with a roster spot if you really just want somebody in the six-nine prototype who can do some switching here and there. But like I, I would just rather see them fill it with somebody who at least you have the opportunity to see what they can do and who actually you know can play in lineups because when you're carrying four centers, those guys are never going to play at the same time.
2: I say that I think there is a little bit of a pro and con to buying out Tice. Like, financially, you do save $2 bucks, and you get an extra $2 million in cap space, but you also lose the uh, ability to throw him in a trade for a bigger player, too. So, I, I do see like the pros and cons of that, where maybe some fans were kind of not happy about that. But I'm personally in the boat, Caitlin, where I think they should just leave it open. And mm-hmm. if somebody becomes available, maybe yeah. after the trade deadline, where it kind of makes sense to go out and give somebody a, an opportunity, that would make some sense. You know, you never know, injury wise, it's going to happen either. But I, I don't want to just occupy it just to occupy it because, yeah, you could bring a James Johnson or a George Hillbeck, but like, is that really necessary with this team? I don't think they need that veteran leader because I feel like they've got a pretty good camaraderie with one another. So I'm not concerned about that. But uh, just to kind of jump forward here a little bit and talk about some other players, obviously two of the new guys that we brought onto this team that have actually played significant minutes, Obi Top and Bruce Brown. um I've really liked what Bruce Brown has done, and I think that the box score might not always indicate everything that he's in, doing to impact the game. What are some of the things you've noticed from Bruce and how he's impacting the game as that starting shooting guard next to Tyrese?
3: Yeah, I mean, down the stretch in the game against Philadelphia, when I wrote my my free agency piece about him, I wouldn't have written in that column, oh, in the fourth quarter of a in-season tournament game, we'll see Bruce Brown handling in a Spain action and Tyrese Halliburton will be the stack screener. So the idea that they've been able to use him as a pick-and-roll ball handler, he did a lot more as a pick-and-roll ball handler in Denver. But just being able to have more guys who can run offense out there, aside from Tyrese, I think has been has been good for that particular lineup. And not that you couldn't necessarily do that with Andrew, Andrew Nemhard, but it just gives them a whole other person who can. I think that defensively, He's had his moments off ball. He usually makes the right rotations. He competes. I certainly think that what was going on with Tyrese Maxey and the empty ball screens with Miles Turner was not ideal, though I do not put that all on them because very few teams, when I watched all of the clips of that play against other teams, were they attempting to defend that two versus two. And that sort of action. And then last night, like, yes, he was getting overwhelmed by uh, Franz Wagner. He was getting overwhelmed by Paolo Bancaro a few times. The whole team was getting sliced up by slice screens a number of times. And that kind of goes back to when he was at Brooklyn. Like, it wasn't – when Brooklyn was playing three-guard lineups and he was having to defend Jason Tatum, he just didn't have the length to close out against Tatum in that series. So, I might have – like, I might be – slightly lower on what his overall defensive impact is going to be. I don't think it was ever fair to expect that he alone was going to buoy their defense to the area that, that, you know, to get it, you know, in the top in, in the 20 range where I would want to see it. And they can play lineups with him where they can put out more competitive lineups. But I think, I think that's where kind of am overall. I think his three point shot has been decent enough. Like I don't see a lot of teams just like completely ignoring him when he doesn't have the ball in the same way that you see with TJ and sometimes with OB. You know, one of my
1: last questions before we kind of transition to our, our next segment is uh, which player do you feel took the biggest strides to improve this year compared to what we saw last season? And that could range across the board from Tyrese to Smith to Jalen Smith, anything of the sort. I feel like we have competition in t- terms of players that have drastically improved.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think all three of them in different ways. Like, certainly I didn't expect to see Jalen shooting the ball this well, and we'll see if that holds throughout the whole season. But the fact that he and Miles are actually seeing some weak side stunts when they pop to the top of the key, and that actually puts the defense into a little bit of rotation. And then especially if you can play buddy adjacent to those actions, that opens up a lot. And then Jalen, too, just getting stronger. Like, in and, and, and in that sense his impact isn't so limited. Like last year when he was at the four, where like, if he doesn't make shots, like this isn't feasible. Like now it's like, okay, if his three point shot, does drop off. Like he's more physical setting seal screens. Like there's other things that you can point to and be like, Hey, that is actually better here, and his certain aspects of his defense have been better. Where you can still see him that he out and out won that backup center spot. Like it wasn't to me, it wasn't just that Daniel Tice was thirty one and didn't necessarily fit the timeline. Like Jalen earned getting to play those minutes. Um, just seeing Aaron e. Smith do more off the dribble. like the numbers don't necessarily reflect a ton there right now in terms of his like dribbles per touch and other stuff that he's been able to do, but seeing him operate more as a screener, seeing him rip the ball from the corners more often, especially going to his left and attack some of those closeouts and just what he is overall. like the guy's just like a workhorse. like he's just gonna do what you ask him to do. And then Tyrese, I think that the number thing, the number one thing I wrote about at team USA was like, Watching him in the minutes with Jalen Brunson and could he learn to be more of a role player to make him even more of a star? Like, would he be able to operate away from the ball in ways where he would still be active and still be positioning him and pass himself and passing windows? I think that stuff, like I said, has been pretty decent on his side of things, although the Pacers haven't necessarily taken advantage and had anybody necessarily step up in some of the settings when he's being schemed out of place. So all of that, and then just, you know, his usage is up and his efficiency has somehow even gotten better. Like he hasn't taken a ton of more shots, but the fact that he's 50, 40, 90, and has scored over 200 points and, up until last night I've been doing what he's doing with his turnover rate like throwing 149 passes without committing a turnover is absolutely absurd without even taking into account that like there's other ways to commit turnovers like with handling and you know other dead ball situations so yeah he's been stupendous for the Pacers and I think everybody's been able to see that
2: yeah the jump that Tyrese has made has been huge but the biggest thing I took away from what you just said there is maybe we can play Jalen and Miles together now maybe it'll work
3: I would rather not. I mean, I think I Jalen's
2: hitting defense... the shots now that he never was hitting last year. So it's open not. up the floor. Best shooter I, on the team.
3: I mean, he's he's playing with more force certainly with mm-hmm. within actions than what he was doing last year. That also made that not so feasible. In addition to not making shots, like I suppose against the right type of lineup, like when they tried Daniel Tyson Miles together when. Obi was not having a great game against the Bucks, and Neesmith was in foul trouble. I suppose you might be able to, to trot it out there, but I just think with how much, you know, what the scheme is defensively, I don't know that I want Jalen defending a ton at the four spot, but
2: I was kidding. never say never. I, I was kidding just because of how much they tried to force that last year, but they tried. you, you can say Jalen actually added about 15, 20 pounds of muscle. He looks a lot thicker with his frame. Like I noticed that at media day, like I was like, Whoa, he put on some muscle. And you're right, he is playing with more force. And I asked him about, you know, what he's done to be able to improve his shot. He said, nothing's really changed. He just quit overthinking it too much. He just shoots the ball. And I think he's taking a lot better shots, too, and not really forcing a lot. He said if it's not there for him, he's not going to force it. But most of his shots, he's been pretty open. He's not really taking a ton of contested threes, I I would say, from what I remember. So that's good that he's being selective and, and being uh efficient while being selective you know just being a threat from out there really does help that team and I feel like when he shoots the ball from three it's gonna go in I think it's a crazy to say now but every time he shoots a ball I'm like oh good we need that three like it's just like Jalen Smith has been a reliable three-point shooter which I did not expect to say this season after the way he played last year
3: yeah and I think that's exactly it like his shooter drive decisions are better like, there was times last year when they played the Bucs where he might see, like, a slight weak side stun. He would buffer for a little bit. Like, I don't know if I should let this ball go against the smaller defender. Now I'm putting the ball on the floor, and I mostly have to attack in straight lines. And if somebody comes in front of me, like, that's kind of the end of it. And now, like, if he sees that type of action, he's just letting the ball go. And that's been cleaner for him. So I think that's been a step forward.
1: It's just crazy because last year Jalen was he struggled so much from three point land shot a hair over twenty eight percent. That coming into this year, Alex and I were like, could he shoot thirty three percent from three? Could he thirty four? Like something where you're you're like the defense can respect it. And I think that right now, yeah, Alex mentioned he's been very selective. He's been so efficient. It's been awesome to see. Honestly, the Jalen Smith three ball is something I'm looking forward to. Every single game, just being like, "Where is it? Where is it?" Because the shot looks so good this year. So I'm just really happy for him. All the work that he's put in, it's all paying, um, you know, playing out right in front of us. But as we transition to our next segment, Caitlin, it doesn't feel right having you on without doing a draft. And with Thanksgiving right around the corner, we thought we would do a Thanksgiving style draft. We're going to select four four food options, whether they could be a side or a main, whatever you want. Uh, but uh, Alex, you know, how are we going to do this draft in terms of who's picking where?
2: Well, we always do a snake draft. You guys want to do a snake draft? or You want to just do like a normal draft?
3: I, I say we it. snake it. Snake it. Okay. Snake it.
2: Yeah. Coach Mosley did call Tyrese Halliburton the head of the snake last night uh, before the game. So we'll stick with that. And then, I feel like since you're our guest, Caleb, we gotta let you pick where you wanna be uh where you wanna select at one, two, or three.
3: I'll go first today. I'll be brave. Take okay. the first pick. All
2: right. I think I got first pick the last couple of times. So Fach, I'll let you pick. You want second or third?
1: Mm. This is tough. This is tough with the snake. Hmm. Let me uh you know what? I'm I'm willing to go third. I'm willing to go you third. Want,
2: you want back to back. Okay, I'll yep. go second. So, Caitlin, you are up first to start us off here with our Thanksgiving food draft. I'm excited to see where we go here.
3: Okay, I don't care how basic people are going to think this makes me. It is my favorite thing on Thanksgiving, and I must be true to myself. It is pumpkin pie. Okay. Okay.
1: It's not a bad pick. I don't know if I would have picked it first, but...
3: I'm taking it. I I can't let it linger on the board. Somebody's going to grab it. Stay
1: true. You know, you gotta. Alex, what do you got?
2: Well... I mean this is this is probably more basic than pumpkin pie, but I'm torn between two, but I'm just gonna go with one that feels more thanksgiving like and that's just gotta be your good old mashed potatoes. I mean okay. I'm a potato guy, so i love <laughs> no. some mashed potatoes, Fach I' I'm not even that sure thinking?
3: I'm not even sure if mashed potatoes are the best potato. <laughs> And, and that is a valid
2: No, point. probably not but for thanksgiving what other potatoes are we having here
3: mm, well we might not reveal well
1: we own. don't want to reveal exactly, them exactly yeah someone didn't do their okay. homework today but you know first of all there's just something about if i can get it in a soundbite you'd be like i'm a potato guy i, I don't know <laughs> i i loved it but um now for my back-to-back picks i was hoping they would still be on the board For my top pick, I'm going stuffing. I love it. It's a staple of my plate. I could probably eat too much of it, but you got to save some room for some other stuff. And that's why I'm happy to go with the back-to-back picks. For my next pick, I'm going green bean casserole. I love it. I'm looking forward to it. I'm building my plate around stuffing and green bean casserole so far.
2: I do like a good green bean casserole. My grandmother has made the best green bean casserole that I've ever had. I've i my wife's tried to replicate it. Other people have tried to replicate it. Nobody can do it better than Mammal. I'm just telling you. So she's making it this year. She just she just has a special touch. I I it's one of my favorite things to look forward to, but I don't like it any other time. I, I just can't eat green bean casserole except on Thanksgiving Day. I don't know how you feel about green bean casserole, Caitlin, but it's pretty uh, good.
3: i I'm here for green bean casserole. I like it. I can't eat a lot of mushroom stuff due to food uh, sensitivities, but I do like it. Mm. I'm very surprised that you took stuffing. I have to say, I feel that that's a bit of a reach in the first round, especially <laughs> when know. especially when turkey isn't even on the board. Yeah, but that, I'm not people a are sleeping guy. on turkey. They're, they're sleeping on it. And like,
1: you would think that would be someone's main pick, but I don't know. It sounds like there's draft concerns about the turkey. Is it too dry this year? I don't know. It's slipping down the board. And for now, I'm going with the stuffing and the green bean casserole, but Alex to your point, I'm really only eating green bean casserole and stuffing on Thanksgiving. Yeah. Like that's not something that's working its way into like a weekly or monthly rotation. So, I'm with you. There's a certain time for it.
2: Yeah. No, I agree with you there. I mean, it's it's good. It's got its moments, but I, I yeah, stuffing to me, it's got to be made right for me to really like it. Of course. It. So if it's, like, really good stuffing, like, yeah, I might get a little bit more after I put a little on my plate, but I'm never, like, craving stuffing. I would have not have picked that one first. Um, I feel kind of weird here because my next pick, it feels like this is a controversial, like, is it a Thanksgiving side mm-hmm. dish or not? But I we like it as Thanksgiving, pick. so I'm going to pick macaroni and cheese. I think that's a pretty It's a fair. Thanksgiving side. So- it, it is. Okay. Yeah. It I've, I've is. seen people say it's not really a traditional Thanksgiving side, but I feel like it is. So I got in my Indiana. two starches. Yes, mashed potatoes and macaroni and cheese. I mean, what kid doesn't want to come over to my house now?
1: (laughs) Mac and cheese, definitely. It was something I really debated. So uh, I don't think it would have made it much longer on the board.
3: Once again, I'm boring because I I love macaroni and cheese, but I can't eat dairy. So I I would have put it on my board, but it's not there. So That's That's
2: a big change right there. That's why you can't pick some certain things like mashed potatoes might even have some milk in it
3: it does and now the clarity on why i like popsicles so much is really coming to the forefront for everyone now it's yes coming together (laughs) so mine i'm going to stay in the squash family okay (laughs) sweet potato casserole okay
1: Mm -mm. i have two orange
3: things i don't care i like them both and i will have them both
1: okay you like the Rolls on top Mm. Oh
2: yeah,
3: yes, oh, yeah. and I like uh, all the candied nuts on the top as well.
2: Mm, it's okay. basically a dessert. I, it is.
3: I don't know. Have you ever had the sweet potato? Have you ever had the sweet potato casserole at Ruth's Chris Steakhouse?
1: Ooh,
2: I that's have, one yes. of the. Actually, that's one
3: of the best things I've had.
1: Mm-hmm. I that. strongly agree with that. That was a that was a major throwback. I feel like you unlocked a food memory for me because it's been for me uh, quite some time, but now you got me thinking about it. So. Uh, That was a good pick uh, for my next pick. Whoa, you're not up.
2: I'm not up. I got to
1: wait.
3: I'm getting hungry out
1: here.
2: Caitlin's got to go back to back, bro. And then I'm up again. Oh, yeah.
3: I feel like I need to take a protein here. It seems ridiculous to have a dessert and then, like, virtually a dessert casserole. And like, if I was being true to myself, this is not a traditional food, but I make scallops a lot on Thanksgiving, so I would really like to pick that, but it's not traditional, so I'll just, I'm just gonna pick ham. I have to go ham. Oh, I don't, that, I don't. that was I my pick. I don't love turkey that much.
2: You just said, I'm surprised turkey wasn't picked in the first round, then you throw a curveball. I said I'm him.
3: surprised that he took stuffing without having turkey on his plate. Oh, no, that's what no. you said. I,
2: I misheard you, I'm sorry.
3: I felt <laughs> like... Not like-
1: like Caitlin was trying to get turkey stock up for someone to take it you know like really like hey turkey's not going to make it past the next round you might want to take it now I whispered but that for... to
3: turkey's agent <laughs>
1: <laughs> yep exactly but for for the ham whether it's roasted ham or just ham in general that would have been my next pick you could tell my how team. eager I was I mean I was really trying to lock that pick in despite it not being mine
2: yes you were you were jumping the draft You're I like,
1: was I was calling everybody, you know. but uh stuffing yep, well, was... still would have been there for you. If you I don't there. know. I don't stuffing know. Stuffing still <laughs> would have been there. I still wanna know is Alex gonna tell his grandma that he passed on green bean casserole in the draft. That's what I wanna know. Because, but my wife
2: makes amazing you know. mashed potatoes, so I can't, okay, I can't the go good against cover my up my wife. Love good me, cover up. Love my mammal, but my wife she's she's the number one lady in my in my life. So fair enough. I, I I'm debating Okay, I feel like I made a mistake by picking macaroni and Ooh. cheese over ham. So I don't um, know if Caitlin would have picked macaroni ref- and cheese.
1: Just
3: curious. I would not have picked mac and cheese because of my dairy issues, okay. but I like mac and cheese. Okay.
2: So it wasn't a bad pick. I think it was a fair second round. Okay. I know I need protein, but I'm just gonna keep sticking with my go to starches. And this is gonna sound lame, but I'm picking rolls. Who doesn't like good old Thanksgiving dinner rolls? I mean, it's it's one of those things where I always look forward to it. And we always do a, a cinnamon butter, kind of like a a mock of the Texas Roadhouse butter. That is fire. Mm, you can make that
1: great butter. So
2: I'm just going to go rolls.
1: Okay. All right. Uh, I think that that's, that's a good pick. I try and limit my, myself to one roll because on Thanksgiving, you're, there's a lot on the table. So you're really trying to, you know, save that appetite a little bit, but not a bad pick, especially if the butter is done Right. Now, I think at this point, given that you know I've missed out on, on quite a few picks, and I think my last pick will be there, I'm just going to go with the value, and turkey's coming off the board. I'm going to put it, no, no Thanksgiving plate. I don't think he's ever really lacking turkey. Maybe it's one slice, maybe it's two. It's going to be on there. At this point, it's making its way on my plate.
3: Okay I think my issue with turkey is that turkey can go really wrong. Like if it's sliced turkey, I really like it. Last year I did have turkey for Thanksgiving and that was probably one of the better things that I ate in the whole year. It was it was very well done. But if the person making it doesn't know what they're doing, I don't yeah. know.
1: I know. It could go uh and go I don't well. want to
3: make it. Like I oh, I'm no. not Thank making you. a turkey.
1: Nope. Have you guys ever
2: smoked your turkeys? No. No. I'm telling you, deep fried turkey is not good. It gets too dry too quick. Oven roasted's fine, but I'm telling you, the best turkey I've ever had is a smoked turkey. Mm. So okay. if you guys know how to smoke food, I would suggest doing that. But just I've had some... a
3: smoked turkey leg. Now that I say this, I have had yeah. a smoked turkey leg at Disney like... World. Those are good.
2: <laughs> you like dark meat better or white meat better?
3: White meat.
1: Okay. I
2: think I the turkey dry. leg
3: at Disney World
1: I've had that same turkey leg before it's it's, it's a big one it <laughs> I is I uh, you. <laughs> yes yeah my wife's the biggest Disney fan that ever lived we've've we we've, we've made quite a few trips I have had that turkey leg so um yeah that, that's a good one uh so this is this is still my pick this is my last pick right here right this is your last one a little bit tough but I'm going with maple glazed carrots um okay. I love me some vegetables. I'm going with the carrots over here, and if no one picks my last pick, I'll let you know what I debated, but uh, that'll uh, top out, top off my plate right here. I
2: don't, I don't think, think I've I ever had
3: them. a maple-glazed maple, bla- a maple glazed carrot. There will be carrots at my Thanksgiving this year, but I think they have like a honey glaze. Mm, I don't think I've ever had them with maple.
1: Maple, it, it's, it's very, it. very good. Yeah, if you ever have the opportunity go for it. A little bit less work than smoking the turkey. You know, this, so th- this one will be a little bit of easier job to make its way on the table.
3: How does a maple glazed carrot pair with a hint of lime chip? That
1: I want to find out. And I'm <sighs> letting you know. I Do got you really want to find that bag.
2: out? Poshi? I mean, really? Fresh
3: bag in the kitchen. I always
1: keep one on me. So we might be finding out on Thursday.
2: Okay. So we got maple. What'd you say? Maple glazed carrots?
1: Yes. Okay. Pretty specific, but I, don't know. Okay.
2: I mean, I'm kind of running out of sides right now. If I'm thinking of like traditional ones, I could probably go dessert here. Like, But like pumpkin pie, I feel like what, else, what other already really taken. is there?
3: You know, There's pecan like, pie. There's apple pie. There's a lot of like, pie. A lot of pie, pie for sure. Pie.
2: It's just like, I don't know. I, so what I'm going to go with here might be boring. I'm just going to keep my basic self going here. You can't have mashed potatoes without gravy. And if I've got the gravy and Fachi can't put it on a stuffing or his turkey, if it's Ooh. dry, you're in trouble. You're going to be coming to my side of the table saying, can I borrow some of that gravy? So mm.
0: just
2: keep it simple. I'm just going to pick gravy.
3: Okay. Okay. I'm not a big gravy person. Yeah. I, I think it. that I don't belong in the Midwest because like biscuits and gravy are like a nightmare to me. <laughs> I don't want them. Uh, no, I hear yeah, you. Biscuits
2: and gravy has got to be but... made right.
3: Yeah.
2: I feel like that's a lot of stuff. I don't know. I'm not know i am Maybe because Your, your dinner
3: table is kind of funny to me. <laughs> it's going to mashed potatoes, mac and cheese rolls, and a dish of gravy.
2: <laughs> wow. Yeah. I, I, I don't I like have any think, protein. We're going uh, all carbs here. Let's go. Get ready I for like a I think I got
1: a more, more well-balanced attack over here for this plate compared to what you got, but uh, um, did you use all your picks? No, I'm I still have mine up.
3: left, so I got to decide here. This is not going to be popular either. I don't care. I'm going to go – with i'm going to specify what it is for me but it's not traditional so i will take the traditional form cranberry salad but i don't want it as a cranberry salad i want it as a cranberry lime popsicle i've made these <laughs> for thanksgiving oh They're wow good. i didn't,
1: I'd never heard of that
3: yes i there's a picture of it from last year i i shared it on thanksgiving day people can look it up on my twitter account but we are going to attempt my sister said she was going to do it I'm um, now what's out there we're going to attempt to make a cranberry salad popsicle. We'll see how it goes, but that's what I'm picking here.
1: Would it okay. be a draft? Be, uh, Caitlin picking a popsicle.
2: That's I mean, what I was going to say. Yep. I don't
3: think it would uh, be.
1: I don't think that's a, it's a good pick that I don't think anybody had on their on their board. Uh, but you know, I, I, th- I think I think you might have gotten the sleeper of the draft, depending on how it tastes. Of course, a good pick.
3: At Cranberry point, salad actually would have paired better with your meal, if we're being honest. Like, it, it goes better with turkey and stuffing than it goes with uh, my array of squashes and ham. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yep. I will say,
2: I will say this, Fachi. At one point, we're gonna have to just pick like a popsicle, so she can't pick popsicles at the end of the last round Ooh, every single time. I could throw. Her off. I was gonna say, like <laughs> any popsicle. Period. All of them. Really throw Caitlin for a loop here. If you couldn't pick a popsicle, we would you pick?
3: Um, I probably would have taken, I don't know how traditional this is, but I like noodle kugel.
1: What?
2: Mm. what oh, wow. Kugel. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, couldn't so hear you. like
3: what? kugel, noodle kugel.
2: Noodle kugel. I've never heard of that. Yes, it's
3: noodles with like eggs and like uh, poppy seeds and other things in a casserole form. That My sister been. makes it. It's quite good. I wasn't sure if it was going to count as traditional though, so I, I didn't pull it out.
2: I mean, does cranberry lime popsicles count as traditional? Cranberry salad is what I said to
3: put. I said I would take the traditional cranberry salad. Okay,
2: great. Is cranberry salad even traditional? I've never heard of that. I've just heard cranberry
3: sauce. Yeah, that's what I meant, cranberry sauce. I don't know why I said cranberry salad. So (laughs) retract what I've said. I don't (laughs) even know how to pick a food. But,
1: I mean, I was thinking about it. I'm like, how does that work? with the salad and the the, the ice pop you know but like i think the noodle kugel is a great pick and now i'm wondering like because now i started thinking like is that traditional or not or then it's like who's missing out on it because i think if you haven't had it like alex mentioned you might want to switch up some traditions because that is definitely an addition you want to make on your table
3: i think so Scallops should have been there too. <laughs> We're being honest. Yeah,
2: I almost picked chicken and noodles, but I'm like, I already have pasta with my mac and cheese. Do I need any more noodles on my plate?
3: <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't go dumpling. I mean, that would have fit right in the family there too. It
2: really would have. I could have gone a lot of places, but I was trying to keep it traditional to a certain degree. There's really only two meats you can go with, ham and turkey, unless you wanted to be like off the wall and be like, well, my family makes steaks for Thanksgiving. We don't do yeah. turkey. It's like, okay, can I really pick steak? I mean, my meal would just be something you get on a normal basis at a roadhouse. So it's like, or at a steakhouse, I should say. Yeah. So it's like, I can't really do that.
1: I feel like that's cheating. <laughs> I agree with that. Like, look, love me some steak, but I've never seen it on the table at Thanksgiving. You know, I think that's the the one time you're kind of leaving the steak off the table.
2: For sure. So Okay. Well, listeners, let us know what... You like the best. It doesn't matter. There's no winner or loser here. We're just having fun. I wanted to do something different. Every year I always do a podcast where I'm like, let's, you know, assign players to oh, the yeah. roles of what they play food-wise at Thanksgiving. Like, you know, is Miles Turner the turkey or is it Tyrese Halliburton? So uh, I've done that like three or four years down To road. I was like, I got to cut this out. This is just getting too cheesy at this point. Uh, Tony, East told me to do it last year. But, Caitlin, if you'd like to do that, you can tell me who you would like to assign to each role here. Pacer wise, before we wrap this up.
3: Oh no, I have to give way more thought to that. I was I thinking can't the just same thing. That off the top of my head, no, <laughs> that is
1: really tough to make those comparisons between, like, who's the potato. You know, it's just like I, I, I just think that a, a lot of thought could go into that, and I would not want to be on the record just throwing some things out there to be like this guy's a honey glazed carrot. Like I, I don't know, you know, so. Tough debate, but I think uh, I think we had some good picks here. If you want to just do a quick recap yeah. of, of the four for the listeners, my four was I had stuffing, green bean casserole, turkey, and maple glazed carrots. Caitlin?
3: Pumpkin pie, sweet potato casserole, baked ham, and some form of cranberry something because I really butchered that pick.
2: <laughs> we have cranberry lime popsicle salad sauce.
3: Yes, that's it. Yeah. That's, that's the item.
2: Uh, I've got the most basic white boy plate in America, mashed potatoes, macaroni and cheese, rolls and gravy. So not proud of it. Don't hate it. But I will say just on the top of my head, if I were to do a comparison here, I would say Tyrese Halliburton is the mashed potatoes of my team. And Obi Toppin is the gravy because by itself, not the greatest. But with some mashed potatoes, it's got better value. I like it. like, I like how you it. Tie it together. I see it. I see it. I see the it. path. I've done this a few times. I think I know what I'm doing a little bit when it comes to breaking down the roster comparing it to Thanksgiving, uh, your Thanksgiving he, plate. He but does. I don't want to go any further have a than couple, that.
1: He does have a couple Pacer to Thanksgiving plate comparisons under his belt. So, you know, the, the experience showed, but I, I thought is. this was fun. You know, a little bit of Pacer basketball tied with a little bit of, uh, you know, getting competitive on a draft really gets you in the- spirit and i think uh i got noodle kugel on my mind right now so that that's that's where we're at uh, at this time of the year i think we might be making it's not too late to pick up the phones maybe make a trade uh for to get that on the table a couple days from now but i had a blast maybe, you
3: could, maybe we can sign noodle kugel to a two-way i think it's we possible do,
1: we do have an open roster spot at the moment so i think we could <sighs> make that happen but kaylin i had a blast today but please tell everybody. Where they could find you out on social media and some of the awesome content that you're always putting out.
3: Right. So, my Twitter handle, X handle, is at C2 underscore Cooper. There's the link to my Patreon, patreon.com slash basketballshiro. If anybody wants to relive the masterpiece that was yesterday's game, I did write a slight piece on things that I. Just trying to parse through like how much of this mattered, what might carry over, what worked against Philadelphia that didn't work against Orlando. And then tomorrow, ahead of the in-season tournament game, I have recorded another preview video. I did this in between the Sixers games yesterday where I like do film clips on a YouTube video. There will be another one where I've looked at some stuff from preseason and other games that Atlantis played against other teams that will come out in the morning. And then on Thanksgiving – I'm doing a live show with Samson Folk at the Raptors Republic YouTube channel about the Pacers Raptors game. So if anybody doesn't have anything to do on Thanksgiving, you can watch me talk to him about basketball. Um, Awesome.
2: I'll, I love that. If you can maybe sneak one of OG or Pascal back with you to Indiana after that live show, that'd be great. We could use that link. That so. those positions, like you, I see if about Samson
3: earlier. can get a trade through.
2: Just talk to Samson. Maybe you guys can work something out. I'm sure you guys both have the ears of the front office, of some degree. So, uh, I will say this: your threads have been incredible this year on Twitter. I've really enjoyed <laughs> them. I mean, Ramona Shelburne's given you a shout out for all the different uh, writers of past that you said how they would view basketball. I mean, there's so many writers that i am just not really familiar with their uh, style, but I was enjoying every little tidbit that you were coming up with. I was like, this is great. Like, where does this come where does this come out of caitlin like how do you come up with this stuff
3: i don't know <laughs> on saturday i really needed to be doing work i was supposed to be working on that atlanta video that's what i had set myself aside to do and i like wasn't feeling great so i was just sitting there and i had been looking at some of my books and i love to read that's one of my biggest hobbies and i i in the past i had thought about on uh, the one that i had there with emily bronte about the, the actual quote from *Wuthering heights is whatever our souls are made of his and mine are the same and yeah. i was like you know if you're a draft analyst you would probably say whatever our shots are made of the form should always be the same so <laughs> then i just started brainstorming more of them from there okay. and made it so that like the only ones i could use had to be from books i had read and from quotes that i could actively remember so people kept being like where is this author or this author I'm like i didn't read their book i can't i can't just That's pull fair. from things i didn't read
2: i love it i love it so caitlin we thank you so much for coming on it's always a pleasure. We'll get you back on here in December. Maybe we'll do some kind of Christmas draft. We got to do something like that. Maybe oh, Christmas wow. movies. We always do food. Maybe we change oh, it Christmas
3: up. Christmas movies.
2: Christmas movies draft, Fachi.
1: I like it. That one it's could have a, bunch a of Christmas sleepers. movie. I think we should. Everybody says. That now. Every, everybody says. You know, I think somewhere along the lines it, it became one, but I guess that's uh, that's up to uh, to you decide. I'm. I
2: don't have a. I don't have an opinion because I've never seen it. To be honest with you,
1: I've seen the first two. Uh, there's quite a few. I'm not um, a big movie watcher. I used to be. Once upon a time.
2: Caitlin, are you a movie watcher? My wife, my wife gets scared I like, of that I movie. like
3: Christmas movies. I've watched a number of them. I usually have an annual tweet kind of mocking the amount of Hallmark movies I watch every year. So.
2: Fun, fun fact for everybody. Chris Airy, uh, I talked to him at the game not too long ago. He's a Hallmark movie guru. Uh, he said that somebody he, he and somebody were talking and they were thinking about maybe writing a Hallmark movie together. So I'm up for that. If Chris and Eric can write a Hallmark movie, uh, that would be absolutely gold. I think that it would just be so funny because you can't get any cheesier than that.
3: Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm looking out for secret princes, looking out for fake fiancés. Um, they could be around every corner according to the Hallmark movies, you just never know. Oh, that
2: would be great. We could have Caitlin as like a as a producer for Kristen Erie on this screenplay too. I would love that. This would be X's useful.
3: and Ho ho ho's is what oh it's called. Oh my god, it's so good. It's great.
2: Alright, Caitlin, we gotta get out of here. Thanks so much. We'll we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for
3: having me guys. Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace,
0: going to the top. This is your number one podcast, sweeping every team. We going to need a mop smooth.